0: Hello, I'm Rabbi Iggy, and welcome to Tattoos and Torah. Hello, welcome to another episode of Tattoos and Torah. I'm Rabbi Iggy. Thank you for joining us. There are plenty of very frightening things happening in the world. It's true that wherever you are, there are a lot of possible threats. Systematic racism, invasion of foreign countries, anti-Semitism, the pandemic. There's a lot of pain and a lot of suffering in the world at the moment. It is possible and it does happen that you will be a victim of some kind. You can walk the street and get mugged. You can sleep in your bed and get killed. You can be targeted because you're Muslim or Jew. You can be racially profiled, discriminated against. There could also just be an accident. You could be in the wrong time at the wrong place. Bad things happen to good people. That is life. So what I want to talk about today is victimhood and being a victim and some thoughts I have about the difference between them two. On a personal level, there are a lot of conversations lately where within just a few minutes... The Holocaust is brought up, Nazis, Hitler, Texas. And I think of my grandfather, my opa, who used to say, it's very hard being a Jew. So I want to recognize that, yes, there are plenty of times in our history that we have been victims of hatred, bigotry, and violence. My family, like many other Jewish families, suffered through that through the Holocaust, my family was practically decimated because of such hatred. I grew up in that household. I also hear within these conversations something that I like a little less, which is a tendency to move from being a victim, which is tragic, into victimhood, which is self-inflicting. The difference between being a victim and victimhood is how each of us defines what being a victim is. And while we can't control our lives, we can control how we respond to what life throws at us. And in that sense, victimhood is giving control over, and giving control over life to something or someone else. When we believe or when we convince ourselves the external forces are more powerful than our own sovereignty. Many times when we think about victims, we mean to say that it's something that's happening to another person against their will and that they didn't have control over it. And that is, in fact, what a victim is. But victimhood is a place where many people choose to live in. And that is toxic, problematic, and a huge hindrance to a life of meaning to recovery, to any kind of spiritual progress. In some ways, it's ingrained in many of our stories. There is a pretty fantastic story uh, in our Midrash about the destruction of the temple, where God talks about him leaving the temple and how in a moment that he was upset and annoyed, he created an opening for the temple to get destroyed. But once it was destroyed, he was so distraught with what he did that he kept crying and feeling sorry for himself. And while it can be a kind of charming story, God crying and saying, what have I done? It's also problematic because you're God, then fix it, change it. So when I think of this writing, which is clearly says more about the writers than God itself, perpetuating the self-pity, the victimhood mentality, one that does not take responsibility for our action, or more importantly, our reaction, our ability to choose our response. We see this a lot. And one of the ways we have to deal with it is to get back to basic understanding of one of the keys of growth is that we have to shift in what we think, what we believe in, what we think our reality is, and the fallacy that we cannot choose, that we don't have any sovereignty. I spoke about this specifically in a different podcast as well. When we say we don't have a choice, what we often really mean is, I don't want to pay the price for my choices. you always have a choice. You can leave tomorrow. You can go anywhere you want. People have left their husbands, wives, children, families throughout history. You can take your money and gamble it away. You can respond back. You can quit your job. You can tell a person you love them. You can jump into a marriage, start a new business, change your body or your life. You can do whatever it is that you want. You always, always have a choice. Victimhood tries to convince us that we do not. It tells us that reality is a force that oppresses us, but that's not true. This appears in a very good article in Scientific American, and they have a little exercise that asks you to rate how much you agree with these following statements on a scale of one to five. One being, this is not me at all, and five being, this is me. So here they are. Ask yourself and then rate yourself according to your answer. It is important to me that people who hurt me acknowledge that an injustice has been done to me. Rate it from one to five. I think I'm much more conscious and moral in my relationships with other people than they are with me. When people are close to me, feel hurt by my actions, it is very important to me to clarify that justice is on my side. And then lastly, it is very hard for me to stop thinking about the injustice that other people have done to me. Now tally up your points in the exercise. And if you scored high, like a four or five, on all these items, you may have a tendency towards what psychologists might call a tendency for interpersonal victimhood. That's one way of looking at it. Another way is, have you said to yourself the following? I just can't. That's not me. I'm not built for this. This is impossible. It's impossible to lose this weight. It's too hard. Life is not fair. The world is evil. How can you be happy in this world I've never done this this way. I've never spoken in public. I can't. I've never opened a business. I don't know how. It would not succeed. What if I fail? What if I trust someone and they abuse my trust? It's this person's fault or that person's fault. Oh, I've tried this before. It doesn't work. I've heard it doesn't work. I sent my CV, never heard back, tried to go to the gym. I tried to diet. It doesn't work. I always fail at fill in the blank. I'm really always bad at fill that blank. I'll try this, but I won't try that, but I won't guarantee right That's one of my favorites right I'll, I'll give it a try but I, I no guarantees. I'm too old to try this. I'm too old to try that. If you've said these things or the like or heard them said, these are just a few examples of what is a victimhood mentality. But the good news is there's a way out of it, and we have to think about ways that allow us to move away from victimhood. The different approach, or a different approach, and each person has to think about who they are, um, allows us to think about it this way. Perhaps we have to look at how to leave victimhood through a progression, leaving out of victimhood. Borrowing from some of the theories and traditions I've been reading and thinking about for the last few years, I've come to see this journey out of victimhood in stages. We can identify them as we do the work and get out of victimhood. So if we start as a victim, like I said, we relinquish control of life. We don't think we can change. There are too many obstacles. But then we can move towards Well, we would call, or I heard it named as the warrior stage. The binary warrior, I will add to it. The world in that stage is very difficult, we think. Either I win or the other person wins. There's a winner, there's a loser. It is very binary. It's a concrete jungle. The world is a competition. But it is an improvement on everything is happening to me in victimhood. I have no control. Here, at least with the warrior, you can look at the world in an adversarial place, which it is not that always, many times not. We just perceive it that way. But at least we get to start to say that we have some control. We get some clarity that we can control some things in our life. I just have to fight for it. I have some ability to fight for what I want. If we think of continuing this transition from the victim or the, or the warrior, right? If we think of the opposition of these two, we can start thinking about other things that can do with some more sovereignty. So the next stage, we'll call it the creator. Life can be what I make of it. I can create some of my circumstances. I can start to choose to respond rather than to react. I can try I can do my best. I can succeed, but I can also fail. Knowing that I have some control. It's not adversarial, it's not warrior-like, but I can create things. I can make things happen in this world. And it's a stage that's very helpful for us to see ourselves as, because in that sense, we're some kind of artist, if you will, of life, of creation. I think the artist among us would Really relate to the stage. I can create something. I'm a creator. I'm an entrepreneur. I have an attempt to craft my life. The next stage, or I won't say the last stage, but the next stage of the stage we we strive towards is a stage of awareness. Uh, A person who invests in their own awareness around how they feel victim, victimhood, and other elements. That person is the reflector. People in true recovery, many of them fall into that category, but anyone can get there. The stage where we have left victimhood and we can live in the world with more equanimity, with more sense of power, with a sense of strength. It's an awareness of who we are and where we're at and what we want to do with our lives. It's an awareness of how we feel I think all of us, and this is important, all of us go through a few of these stages. Sometimes we feel like the victim, sometimes we feel like a warrior, sometimes a creator. We have to move between them to progress. I think it's important to do that with the difficulty of throughout all these taking responsibility. But with that awareness at the end, we get a sense of how to interact with each thing that's happening in our life, good and also unfortunately bad. There are things we can control, of course. Genetics, life predicament, that's true. But we have a chance to succeed if we are able to differentiate between taking responsibility or blaming ourselves or others. We cannot take on the feelings of shame and guilt over things we have no control over. But we can take responsibility for the things we choose to perpetuate or things we don't change or things we do change. Unfortunately, I think that culture has perpetuated our tendencies to blame, to complain, to put the blame somewhere else, to think of ourselves as so unique terminally unique we call it my pain is so different you would not understand it's toxic and it's wrong and it hurts you we are very good at finding fault with someone else blaming someone or something transferring that responsibility we're good at not allowing ourselves to feel pain to feel uncomfortable over our own choices That is victimhood. So again, how do we change that? So here is an assignment if you want to take it. Think about the areas where you can take responsibility. The hardest one, of course, is feelings. Many people believe their feelings come from an external source, that people make you feel something. I didn't make you, right? Or we we hear this, I didn't mean to make you feel so-and-so. But the truth is nobody can make us feel anything. We can make ourselves feel things and we can take responsibility for those feelings. We may be upset, but we choose whether to express that anger or not. We choose whether to take an action when we're upset to do things perhaps that will make us less upset. So if we choose that, we can change that. If we don't choose that, we choose to continue feeling the way we do. Feelings arise. They are stronger than us. How we respond to those feelings, again, that's our choice. And that's part of the learning on how to respond to those feelings. Another big realm of this, is, of course, is failures. When we fail at something, do we blame others, circumstances? Do we take responsibility for ourselves? Do we learn from it? Do we ask the questions on what do we learn from it? Do we try and learn from it? do we feel so much shame and guilt and failure that we try and hide it, forget about it, move on? Success. Do we take responsibility for success? Or do we say, oh, it's nothing, or it just happened? Or again, do we recognize our own hard work around success? Can we learn from our successes? What went well? Why did it go well? What can I learn from it? How can I use that success for something more We do this on a personal level as well as on a work level. It's important to use the success and the feelings around it to then push us to do something more, bigger. I think a relationship is one of the most difficult ones, relationships. A lot of people are miserable in their life because their relationship But how often do we want to blame others for the relationships that we have or the way they are? How many times do we think that the relationships we have, friendships, partners, whatever, is the other person's fault? It would be great if they would do this or that. But so seldomly we think about, well, what I need to change in order for this relationship to work. When it's a good relationship, how often do we put it on the other person? He is so good, she's ac- so accommodating, whatever we say, without also recognizing the things that we are good at. That may sound good that we give the accolade to somebody else, but if we don't recognize ourselves in that relationships, it's just as bad. It takes two to tango, of course. The prize of better awareness around victimhood is the chance to change. It's a chance to grow. But again, that can only happen if we are willing to take a sober, hard look at our life and take inventory of the things we truly want and the things we're willing to work towards. There are a whole bunch of spiritual tools that we can talk about, from gratitude to forgiveness to understand what we call memory bias On one hand, people with tendencies towards interpersonal victimhood would likely have a negative memory bias. They'll think often around anger, hurt, and betrayal. But also thinking about some people might think too favorably around some memory bias, or it wasn't so bad, and that's obscuring reality and what it truly was because we want to make ourselves feel better. To go back to Jewish life, when we think about the ancient catastrophe, the destruction of the Second Temple. There's a whole practice around lamentations. The Book of Lamentations starts with Alas, lonely sits the city that was once great with people. She that was great among nations has become like a widow. Later on it says, For these things do I weep, my eyes flow with tears. Far from me is any comforter who might revive my spirit. My children are forlorn, for the foe has prevailed. It's very dramatic. (laughs) And I think people who live in victimhood are very dramatic. Everything is escalated. That's how we see things. That's how we choose to see things. Living in victimhood doesn't help us, it constantly shifts our focus to anything that is not ourselves, it robs us of our sovereignty it is, quite frankly, whiny. It stops being real. And again, this is separate from being a victim. You can be a victim, and that is terrible. But victimhood doesn't allow for restitution. It doesn't allow for tshuva. In a world where we believe that tshuva is important, that growth is important, that recovery is possible, there is no room for being a defeatist. Which is not to say that we are not going to be defeated or that we cannot stop and think about the big journey we have to take or the hardship it can take or that we we won't be a failure. But when there is that, we have to learn from that and we have to allow ourselves to be okay with that. We have to not let it reinforce the bad thing that we think is going to happen to us, which I think is the predisposition of a lot of people who live in victimhood. I can say in my own family, when we hear of something bad that happened, like in the ocean, for example, immediately, right, somebody would say like, well, that's why we don't swim after we eat or oh, that's why we don't swim there or, right, that's why we don't leave the house. <laughs> See, I told you. As soon as you do that, you perpetuate the fear and the victimhood mentality that prevents you from learning, from growing, from engaging in real conversation around personal responsibility, not reinforcing the victimhood, the, the thinking about bad things that might happen, the fear. I want to acknowledge that, of course, many of us have trauma A lot of us do feel that some things that happen to us do reflect in the way we act and behave. And there's also generational trauma. And I don't want to judge any of it. This is not judgment on it. It's a point of view around the things we can do around our own victimhood. So perhaps if you're a victim... Perhaps all of us, because all of us are victims of something, to encourage you, it's okay to feel pain. It's, of course, okay to suffer. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to understand it, to recognize that bad things happen and they have consequences as well. But perhaps we also need to choose to move out of victimhood. That is also our choice. Thank you for joining me. I'm Rabbi Ige of Tshuva Center. Uh, Some of the tools you can use if you go to our website and go to uh, our journaling uh, tool over there, part of the recovery tools, you can sort of get some tools that we offer there. Also, you can join us uh, next week for Pop-Up Shabbat. You can look all that in the website. Um, And as always, this podcast was recorded by Chuva Center. And I want to thank our team, Ben Lichman, Grace Sheed, and Joe Yalowitz, who make this all possible and make sure that the guests and I sound as best as we can. Uh, Again, thank you all for listening. Check out our Instagram and our website at chuva center, T-S-H-U-V-A-H, center, or chuvacenter.org. Thank you again.